Hello, we are back. After a short break, PR Girl Rant is back with new episodes. June was a heavy month and I just needed a minute to get grounded and find my balance. Also, getting back to work, getting back into focus, if you will. Well, we're back with a great guest, Kim Wilson-Marshall, director and founder of Wilson-Marshall PR and Events. Established in 2012, Kim's specialization is providing communication services to small to mid-sized business personalities and nonprofit organizations. This year on her eighth year anniversary in business, Kim launched a new division, WM Enterprises, for hospitality and lifestyle clients. Kim is also a 2020 Trailblazer of the Year Award recipient by Harlem Fashion Week. She is also a member of Women in Hospitality United and the Institute of Entrepreneurial Leadership Success Circles. She's a native New Yorker and has 20 years and counting of communications experience within the profit and nonprofit sectors across New York City. On this episode, we talk about her journey into the PR industry, balancing marriage, career, and motherhood. Take a listen. So welcome, Kimberly. Or do you prefer to be called Kim or Kimberly? I answer to both happily. Kim or Kimberly is totally fine. Awesome. Some people have preferences. So I just want to make sure. <laughs> yep. No worries. Awesome. Before we get started into the interview, um, you and I have never had the pleasure, I don't believe, of like physically meeting. I don't think so. Right. But we do have someone in common, and yes. that's Renee Warren. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. The world is so small and awesome. Um, yes, Renee, I met, oh my goodness, several years ago. Mm-hmm. I came aboard a project that was based uh, here in New York City yes. in Harlem called Hoodwink Escape. Yes. And I met the very amazing, super connected, super knowledgeable Renee Warren. And she handled um, everything outside of public relations for Hoodwink Escape. Uh, Shout out to Michelle Ware and her concept. It was absolutely amazing to work with these smart, savvy women. And at that time, I came aboard. Here I am working with this experiential company and it was kind of a learn on the job experience, but Mm -hmm. the story of Michelle, the owner was great. And Renee was just, you know, was, and still is very super, just absolutely super to work with. One of the most professional uh, folks I've ever met in my career and extremely connected in so many different ways and so many different industries, especially Mm -hmm. from the marketing standpoint. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Hoodwink was definitely special to Harlem. I live in Harlem and um, it was definitely special to Harlem. It gave us, you know, something new, something fresh. Yes. And um, yes. I definitely hope after this, she definitely recovers or, you know, I haven't spoken to her in a while, but um, yeah, she's a ball of energy herself. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> Wonderful. And definitely Renee is a mentor of mine. Um, started out in PR because of her event um, planning event production and eventually going into PR all due to her. So mm, wow. That's yeah. so awesome. She's very motivational. Oh my she gosh. Will, she will always say, well if you're doing this, then you need to do this. 
And at the time, I, you know, was think, had to start thinking out of the box to publicize Hoodwink Escape beyond Harlem's fantastic, beautiful community and make it something that was a tourist attraction. And Renee said to me, she's one of the one of the very first people who spoke to me about, you know, being able to engage and or secure more tourism ready, tourism friendly clients. And at that time, I, my mind wasn't even there yet. It wasn't there yet. So Renee is a gym. Definitely. Yeah, she definitely is a motivational speaker. She finds the brighter side to a lot of things that I'm like, oh my gosh. She's like, no, let's do it this way. And even her tone and everything. So yes. it was just amazing work with her. And she spoke definitely highly of you. So when you reached out to me, I was like, of course, we're definitely going to do this because these are the, your kind of folks I want to speak to. You know, we're independent solopreneurs. You know, we're doing this. We've been doing this yes. <laughs> on our own for quite some time successfully. So why not, you know, highlight those folks? So thank you again. Oh, thank you. I, I am so excited and really honored to be a part of what you're doing with your podcast and be a part of the esteemed folks that you've had as special guests that I, many I have worked with or awesome. collaborate with. So I'm excited. Wonderful. So talk to me, how are you doing? Like, you know, everyone, we are in week, I don't know, 395. <laughs> how are you personally handling everything that's going on? Hmm. Well, I'm taking every single thing day by day. I am being very mindful to not overwhelm myself with too many projects per day. I am allocating time, I think more efficiently than I did pre-COVID. I'm a very, I am a person who's very into compartmentalization. I'm okay. able to do that. So, and, and sometimes that's gotten me in tr trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and in personal terms with sometimes with friendships sometimes and with marriage uh you know my 10 year old son it's a little different because he was the first person to say but that's how mommy works this is how mommy functions you know she's going to give everyone and everything its own time it's how it's you know it's it's like lego pieces in her brain he's very much into legos mm -hmm. and hearing it maybe hearing it from my 10 year old it didn't make me feel bad anymore because I said, oh, that's one of my special gifts. So during this time, um, it has redirected my focus more than ever and made me more driven. Like most people, you know, uh, Michelle, when this began, it was, well, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. And every single day, like everyone else, we watch the news and oh, we have to close or the business can only have this much. But once my son who attends fourth grade in a New York City public school, once the schools closed, that was when I understood, oh, something really is happening. Mm -hmm. And of course, as, as, a, as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, I became immediately concerned with my my immediate family, my extended family, my friends, health-wise. What does this COVID-19 mean? What are the symptoms? What things should you look for? 
And then it went into, oh, I now have to take care of the fiscal, you know, health of myself, my business, and my family that helps to support my family. So at this point in time, I am cautious. I'm very mindful, which is super hard, which you, <laughs> which you might, which you may know as well. Mm-hmm. When you're in public relations, people pay us to think and to talk all day long. So for, for the right things, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm very cautious of what I say, um, how I share information, because my perception, my experience, and how I am coping may not be how someone else is taking this time, take going through this experience. And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned during this time, honestly, is to become more empathetic. Yes. Become more aware that looking at this situation from my perspective, where I am in the world, uh, in New York City, quarantining with with my husband, my mother, and my 10-year-old son, and homeschooling and operating my business with remote independent contractors is very different than the experiences that other people are having. You know, the, the, the term a lot of my friends as well as clients, you know, we've been saying is, you know, your quarantine is not my quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Absolutely. You know, so it's, it's just been a day to day process. I definitely, you know, cooking more. I I already was someone who enjoyed cooking, but making more of an effort, um, learning to manage my time better. I, I think even when you're doing, I work out of my home. So the working from home was not a nightmare for me, but I had not worked from home with a 78-year-old, a 47-year-old, and a 10-year-old in a, you know, Harlem two-bedroom, you right. know? Right, wow. Those, those have become your, um, your co-workers. <laughs> in their own special way. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's been quite an experience. It's been an experience that has empowered me and that's the biggest part of this time there's definitely like sadness that that came uh concern that came but I'll be honest my sadness that I went through I would say probably a good four to six weeks in was for the community that I'm a part of and the businesses yeah. And, and it business. sounds like you, when you spoke about being mindful, and I think that's a powerful word, but because we are um, thinkers, creatives, sometimes that can become, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A bit heavy. And because yes. you are a wife, a mother, and then now I'm hearing that you had to take care of extended family, also living with you. How did you manage to balance that all? And, you know, they say that we, when we work as women, there's always a balance and act. There's a balancing of different, my balance may not be your balance. Right. As my quarantine is not your quarantine, but it's still yours. It's still your experience. Right. So yes. talking about that experience and balancing all that in order to perform for your clients mm, yeah. and then perform for the family. 
So funny enough, uh, this year, this is 2020, and this year will make two years. Two years ago, my my mother, who was a woman pretty much in good shape, she's the primary childcare for uh, my husband and I, our, our 10-year-old son now, and she had to have a kind of emergency kidney surgery. She had to have one of her kidneys removed. And, you know, a woman in her 70s, it was very daunting, very overwhelming. It and it took place around this like the time same time of the year that COVID happened. So it was March, and I was literally at my clients, uh, my Harlem haberdashery clients. They have an annual masquerade ball. I was at the ball, a room full of about 450 people, and I got the call from my uncle. Okay, she's in the hospital. There's going to be some tests okay, when you finish with your party, you should come by because, you know, your family can, you can tell them I have this business, this is what I do, but in their minds, they don't understand the depths of it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which, you know, so I had to regroup myself and get through the event uh, with 450 people and 25 staff people, uh, take photos, set up things, set up interviews. So I got through the event to the best of my ability had to go to the hospital that night with my husband and just learned all these things that had to take place. That weekend, you know, so that next day of Sunday, we changed the hospital that she was in and they said, okay, by the way, your mother has this issue, that issue, this issue. And Michelle, I was so ashamed of myself because, and I, and I definitely think our, I won't say that the men listeners don't, have the same experience but Mm -hmm. for women women we truly believe we're supposed to do everything know everything manage everything I was one of those women and then this terrible situation happened fortunately you know my mother didn't have any complications she had the surgery she rehabbed with us so she left her independent apartment where she lives and she rehabbed with us here in Harlem. I think that that was a precursor, unbeknownst to me, of what what we're now living through in quarantine through COVID-19, which was balancing. Balancing operating my business, you know, handling all of my accounts, Mm -hmm. overseeing my independent contractors on their duties, as well as being super active, you know, with my son in school and I'm on my son's student leadership team. We're like the next level up from the PTA. We make uh, hiring decisions, fundraising decisions, funding decisions um, with principals, you know, teachers. It's, it, so it's a it's lot. Like a, yeah, it's a lot. And um, and then myself as a, as a woman, as a mother, um, I... I did feel overwhelmed in the beginning, but then I shifted that energy and I didn't stay overwhelmed. I didn't stay feeling ashamed. I got into an intense survival mode Mm. and I said, okay, I'm going to create a plan and I know everything's not going to go as planned, but I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And for for a whole week, that week of the shifting while she was in the hospital pre-surgery, 
I went from Harlem where I live and took my son to school where he was, goes to school in Harlem as well, got on the Metro North, went to Bronxville to visit her in the hospital for six to eight hours a day, dealing with doctors, changing doctors, dealing with becoming a proxy. These are things I didn't know. Thank goodness for my little village of sister friends who supported me. Right. And operated my business. I'm on the phone, I'm doing emails, I'm setting things up, I'm setting up interviews, I'm coordinating partnerships because this was March going into April and spring and summer is big time of the year. Oh, this activation, that activation, this rollout. So the number one thing that I did too was I was honest. Okay. I didn't hide from anyone that had expectations of me that at this time, my mother's had a health crisis. I am accessible, but I have limited capabilities in certain areas. However, I respect you. I respect your business. I know you respect my business and the services. So I wanted to share. I was so fortunate, Michelle, that Mm -hmm. my clients were genuinely concerned Beautiful. That, you know, that's a rare thing. And I feel that working with these small to mid-sized businesses and nonprofits, you do have that emotional um, connection. You have a more of, there's just more empathy there. So they was really for understanding. And I did the work. And I, I did the work with commuting and so forth. I think I also was, had a lot of adrenaline <laughs> <laughs> because the commuting, you know, the commute every day, my husband had to shift things at work. And I said, listen, you have to pick him up every single day after school on time. And then he was going to karate at the time. And it was, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think the adrenaline was super high in myself. And I also think that's what empowered me and strengthened me to get through. I think going through COVID-19, the, sh- the difference is where uh, during that time period with my mom and the surgery and the rehab, and thank God she rehabbed beautifully in a really miraculous amount of time um, to have a surgery in April and be back in her independent apartment by June, you know, a woman in her 70s that was like, record-breaking time but I was able to carve out my mommy getaway moments okay I was going to ask you how did you manage to do that I mean I'm hearing about the adrenaline yeah hearing about your savviness as a business owner to compartmentalize and delegate but there comes a time when you know you have to take time out for yourself I don't care if you go in a closet in the bathroom (laughs) wherever you have to go. So what was one or two things that you did? Sure. So I started to really tap into my spirituality um, in different ways. So I was not raised in a traditional Christian having a home church, uh, as the old folks would call it. You know, it's, it's so funny quarantine with somebody in their 70s. They have like a different vernacular. So, so I pick up all these, you know, things, but I didn't grow up having a traditional home church that I went to every Sunday or for special occasions. So over the years, 
you know, learning about myself, learning about um, my history in this country and, you know, other countries abroad where people look like me, women look like me, I was more open to that. So I definitely did meditation. I definitely did visualization. I definitely, um, you know, I, I just really tapped into spiritual advisors at that time. Um, I, and you know, that's a personal choice. Some people go, oh my gosh, that's kooky, that's crazy. Uh, however, I think whatever's going to help you stay grounded, stay mm -hmm. positive, and motivate you to to get through different things you need to lean into it as long as it's not harmful exactly I, and then when i was able to i created small little pockets of time where i would maybe go out with friends who who had time to spend with me and we would go out for dinner or drinks um i remember at that time i did a mommy overnight getaway to and stayed in the city at a hotel by myself i took i went to this beautiful yoga class during the day during quarantine during these past couple oh no oh no michelle I'm, i wish <laughs> i could that's what i'm about to share <laughs> that's what i'm about to share no during that time during my mother's um you know post-surgery time we were preparing for mother's day which was now 2018 and I, I felt it coming on. I felt super overwhelmed. And I said, you know what? I need a little break. I love these people. I love them. I care about them. But I need a break to regroup myself. So I booked a hotel room for myself in the city. I stayed overnight. And then I met them in lower Manhattan. And we had a beautiful family brunch. And it's super, it, it was so important to take that step back and just have time to myself and just regroup with myself. I think that one of the challenges with COVID-19 is that I don't have that reprieve. Oh, I need a spa day. They're not open. Oh, I need mommy getaway. Where are you going? You know, it, it, this has been very challenging. Um, I believe that post COVID-19, with so many people being at home and shifting into the working from home mold, mode, uh, women especially are going to start really understanding what self-care is. Yes. Spa days are beautiful, getaways are beautiful, but the self-care starts with creating boundaries, um, creating space for yourself, respecting when people say, I, I need space, or I can't speak for a few days. And I think, and Michelle, I think that you can attest to this. When your job is to communicate for others, sometimes you have no words left for other people. I have and, my hand up. I'm, I'm <laughs> gospel. I have my hand up. It's, it's so, um, oh. and some people are like, you don't want to get on the phone. And it's not that I don't want to talk to my friends, but if I've been talking all day, pitching all day, or what, I, yes. I just don't have anything left to get on another, right? At this point right now, I don't have any more energy to get on another Zoom call 
right or you know whatever it may be because you're just so exhausting because that's what we do we use our voices all day and sometimes yes. you know the feedback is not always great <laughs> so yes. that's another energy exhausting pull because of the careers that we do yes. and um you know i'm happy to hear that you were able to connect with your clients and they understood so they reciprocated that they understood that actually, really, seriously, we're all in this together. This is not, you know, I'm having a bad day and I'm feeling whatever. This is all of us going through at the same time. Some may understand and some may not, but I'm happy to hear that, you know, the people that you work with were, you know, accepting of that when you needed it. Yes, yes. And I think that inspired me even more to have an open mind and create space in my business to really work with the small to mid-sized businesses and or nonprofit organizations. From that experience, it really did. Awesome. So now that we're talking about business a little bit, talk, give me a little background of Kimberly and her journey. Like, is this something you always thought you wanted to do as a, you know, a kid going up Mm. high school? How did the love for PR, I guess, what was your big dream, I should ask? Sure. So growing up, I definitely had aspirations of working in a space where I would be able to be really fancy, wear great outfits and travel (laughs) and live this fabulous life. Oh, by the way, I'm an only child. So I do a vast amount of visions and, you know, manifestations and creativity and so that was you know my start but as I became older I wasn't very sure at 16 I had my first internship and (laughs) um you know a guy who has become a lifelong friend who's like my bonus brother his name is Ron Padmore He's a stylist and a designer and just a brilliant person. He was in charge of the interns at this record company called Def Jam. Mm -hmm. And he spoke to me on the phone at 16 and I was explaining, I really want to understand the music industry. I want to work in any of the departments. And he he said, I just have to meet you and see if you're really 16, which, you know, was kind of like, what? But I was open to it and I went and... He said, okay, you're going to join our little intern pool. And I learned so much in those first six months, but it didn't, but it didn't make me want to go into the music industry per se. Mm -hmm. I liked a lot of things that I seen. and, And I will say this, I had the absolute pleasure of being with very protective, caring folks. Or while I was there, I interned and I specifically worked with the the uh, promotions department, which at that time was headed up by a very awesome gentleman named Kevin Lyles. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so the Kevin Lyles, Mike Kaiser, they were just awesome guys. Oh, Mike who, Kaiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just really awesome guys who, you know, when I look back now, they were living their dream. They mm-hmm. were, you know, working with music, traveling, promoting music, coming up with concepts, you know, meeting with the awesome Julie Greenwald, who who was right next door. I mean, like this, you know, for me to be 16 years old and not know anything about 
operations business outside of, you know, helping out here and there, volunteering at offices at school or things of that nature, it was, it blew my mind. However, I wasn't affixed to saying music industry is going to be my life. Mm -hmm. I, I just didn't feel that. I was at that time still really interested in kind of segueing into fashion, but okay. not right, but not from a design standpoint, but a behind the scenes standpoint. So after Def Jam, a few more internships, um, I really fell in love with the concept. I read an article, I read this article, and it was about an organization called Bragg, and it's the Black Retail Action Group. And I said, oh my gosh, what, who are these people? What is, what is this? And I said, oh, what's merchandising? And when I realized you go to the fashion shows, you travel the globe, you go to all these wholesale conventions and you buy clothes for stores. And I said, oh my gosh, it's my dream. But you know, I'm 18 at the time. So I get accepted to uh, Parsons School of Design. They had an amazing fashion merchandising program. FIT was my first choice, but they didn't have any space in my program for that semester. I go to Parsons, an amazing experience. I take all these great classes. You know, first year in college, you realize you thought you knew something. You really didn't know much. <laughs> and I learned I struggled horribly with math. Oh, my and gosh. You too? That is my, oh, my God, kryptonite. That is the worst Oh, it was always my worst subject. It, and, and here I was in college. The first time in my life, I needed a tutor. Mm -hmm. And the tutor was so nice to me. And he said, listen, Kimberly, here's what I suggest. You're doing really great in all of your other classes. Just get through the rest of your classes, semester by semester. Last semester, just take all the math classes one term. I said, but how am I going to do that? And, and I didn't feel confident that that made sense. Uh, plus Parsons was a bit pricey. So I had myself on like a waiting list for FIT. I transfer. I transferred to FIT, still fashion merchandising major. I'm in a class. I want to say it was maybe something about, uh, it was something about advertising, it was about marketing or something. And they were saying, you know, so now we're going to talk about public relations. Mm -hmm. You should find a book about public relations. I go to the school library and I'm looking and I'm looking. And this book comes across the list about publicity and public relations. And that is the book that literally changed my entire view and my career life. Wow. It was the personal touch by... Uh, Terry Williams. Wow, that like you're the second person <laughs> <laughs> because she is the person that we looked up to. And yes. at that time when I knew about Terry, I didn't want to be a publicist myself. I was an event production, event planning, but mm. I knew of Terry and I was always intimidated by her because mm. that was one woman you knew she knew her stuff. And yep. we didn't see other Black women like her, right? We didn't know. No, you know no, we didn't. Besides not. me working with Renee and her partner, Kirsten, I didn't know any others. And when you heard Terry William, you knew was that, that was the business. So, wow, yeah. that is amazing. Oh, bless Terry. I love her. Oh, she's, she's a gem. I had the, I mean, I had the pleasure many, many years later to meet her. 
and I, I felt like I was going to hyperventilate. I almost started <laughs> crying. Like she's, she's my Beyonce. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, so, so I read, I read this book and I'm in the middle of the semester now at FIT and I go, oh my God, I know what I want to do with my life. I know what I want to do for, to work, for a career, to make a living. I want to go into public relations. So I go to my like guidance counselor, whatever, and they're like, uh, hey, what's going on? And I said, yeah, I need to change my major. And they said, you just want to get out of math. And I said, no. <laughs> I, I found my calling. I want to change to the advertising and marketing communications program. Fortunately, FIT, uh, my wonderful alma mater, a lot of the classes were similar for the merchandising program, but then some were not. So I had to, you know, take different things over, but it was so worth it. And that's where I graduated from. And during that time, I just became more and more immersed into public relations because all of my life I've been a reader mm -hmm. and um, I truly love the experience you know, I'm dating myself. I'm totally okay with saying I'm 41 and I, you know, I'm proud of that. Okay. But I, I loved getting the newspaper. I love the experience of the New York Times or, you know, on occasion, the Wall Street Journal. I loved getting the fresh publications, like when a magazine came out, it was crisp and the page, <laughs> oh, it was, a, it was like an experience, you know, when new television you know, news programs would come out. I would always take note and say, oh, that's a new commentator. Oh, they're talking about that. So this was something that already interests me as just an everyday, you know, <laughs> Black girl growing up between Harlem and the Bronx, you know? Yeah. This is what really um, interests me. And, you know, my mother can attest to it. She's, you know, she's like, you're going to put me in bankruptcy. How many magazines can you really read? But, <laughs> but that was my love. Like my favorite thing to do in the good old days was going to like Barnes and Noble and just for hours, just go through all the publications and learn about regional places and different kinds of industry. These things, this was my love affair with media. It sounds so beautiful. Like, you know, <laughs> many of us, um, we, some people fall into PR, they, yeah. you know, they hear somebody that does PR. And, you know, for me, it was also because of Renee having the opportunity to, from school, get my first internship and get hired at Noelle mm. Lane Media at the time was amazing because they did so many things. They did event planning, they did um, PR and a few other things, but it was just watching them, how they navigated everything. And like you, I, for me anyway, I took one PR class and I knew there was something there. And the thing with me, you, I had also, I wasn't a great writer. Mm, but okay. it was still something that drew me in. I knew that for, you know, public relations, you had to be, you had to write many press releases, but with the, um, you know, with Renee and Kirsten, they gave me the confidence to still go at it. So that's why I started off in event planning and then shifted to PR because I was able yes. to now see the lay of the land and have like a smooth sailing ride into it. But I love the way how you started off at Dev Jam and you could have easily said, 
hey, because at that time, the music industry, you know, was still booming. I mean, it's still booming now, but there was a, a moment in time. Oh, yeah. for, I'm a little bit older than you, but there was a moment in time when if you knew somebody like a Mike Kaiser or whatever, and you got in good, you had a place there. You could have gotten a job real yes. quickly yes. and stay there, you know, and that's how I met um, Lynn Hobson because that's how I know all those guys because mm. it was a booming time for that industry and everybody, everything was fair game and nobody was oh, I don't want to share or, you know, but they were more susceptible to bringing you in if you were yeah. like yourself, a go-getter at 16, you were a go-getter. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> so the thing that's funny that you say that, because I remember overhearing, cause you know, you had to sit in the meeting you took notes and things of that nature. And I was in promotions and I said, Hey, well, what do you do when you do street promotions? And they explained. And I remember going to Kevin and I said, so listen, I would love to know like what days a week I could do the street promotions. And he looked at me and he said, no. I said, no. He goes, no, you deserve to be in the office and things like that. He goes, I'm, he said, listen, listen, you're not 18. I said, okay. And so he goes, Mm-mm. he said, not on my conscience and not for the business. Would that be in best practices? to have a 16 year old girl being picked up at four or five o'clock in the morning to ride around in a van with a bunch of guys doing street promotion. This just <laughs> is not gonna go well. And you know, some people would hear that and say, oh, he was being sexist, but he wasn't. He was being honest and saying, listen, maybe if you were a little older, I would feel more comfortable, mm -hmm. but you're a liability. In the office, I can see you, we can see you, we know where you're going, where you're not. Um, I was so fortunate to be amongst really protective and caring people. And, you know, you're hundred percent right. Music industry at that time, you kind of, uh, you got in good and you would say, Hey, I'm going to finish high school. When I come back, you know, I'll call you, you know, and, then, and they said, you know, if you want to come back, you can come back after you graduate or while you're in college. And some people were doing that. But, my passion wasn't there. I could feel that then. Yeah. So how long would it be before you started um, your company? So, wow. So I had a journey of working at a few nonprofit organizations and I would say mostly nonprofit sector is what I worked in, in my twenties um, and into all through my 20s, actually, and into my early 30s, and with different, you know, interests, usually things to uplift people, enhance people, change their lives in some capacity, and within their um, fundraising departments, so development, and working in marketing departments, so I was learning all of those skills. When I had like a little fledgling, the Kimberly Group bless its heart. The Kimberly Group was my <laughs> first little, <laughs> my first little PR business. And I worked with some really awesome folks and had did a bunch of awesome PR and met great people. But I loved performing the services, but I wasn't doing myself justice as far as structuring the business. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I went back into nonprofit found an amazing organization, which I've been a part of, oh my goodness, now, I guess 12 years, or I, I can't even count anymore, uh, New York City Children's Theater, and 
I remember reading the job profile. They were looking for a marketing and development associate or something. And they took children's books and they turned them into musicals. And I thought, oh my, you can't get any cuter than this. Oh my gosh, like this is so sweet. I met with them. Um, they've been lifelong clients, lifelong, um, you know, like a, like a bonus family of folks. And while I was there, I was there and I, you know, I went through like a little health journey while working there. I got, I met my husband, we got married the following year. I had my son. And when I had my son, that was when I loved doing what I was doing. I loved what the organization was doing, but I felt very uh, torn torn with being at home with my son and giving him time in his very early, you know, developmental uh, years and getting to work. And I was on a part-time schedule and the organization was going through some, some administrative shifts and things of that nature. And I, I felt I wasn't being 100% utilized to the best of my ability. I felt I was being pulled into doing other tasks mm -hmm. that took away from the things that I was really becoming successful at. And at that time, it was going deeper into coming up with marketing campaigns, really going into public relations for the organization. But I was put, getting pulled into other directions there. And I said, this is not what I wanna do. I want to do what I want to do. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, well, what does that look like? And I just, it, it, it was weighing on me. I spoke to my husband about it and I decided, I said, you know, I used to have my own PR business, but it wasn't a real business. And my husband said, I don't even understand what that means. And I said, well, I didn't structure it. I didn't respect business structure or, you know, what kind of business structure would you like to have? An LLC, a sole proprietorship. I didn't take counsel with an accountant. I just didn't set it up. So my husband said, well, you're smart. I think you can do this. So I started taking classes at NYC Business Solutions. Great folks over there. And I took a series of classes while still working part-time at the nonprofit and having a, a young baby. Um, got a little business plan together, moved some savings around, and I self-funded myself. And my commitment was that if I could not, in one year, one full calendar year, make the same amount of money operating my business that I made working part-time for the nonprofit, I would go back to the workforce. Mm -hmm. and, my, and my business deal was made with my husband. <laughs> Nice. I, <laughs> so I presented the, the, my business plan to him and he said, well, babe, I believe in you. And he goes, if that's what you're going to do, I, I, let's do this. And it changed. It, it, it changed my life. It's changed my life so much for the better. I've been able to do so many things and work with so many interesting people and still represent the theater as their PR consultant. So it, it was just a beautiful thing that happened. You are a business startup's dream. You 
did everything <laughs> meticulously, step by step. You read, you um, researched, you talked to counsel, and you did everything step by step because this time around you were like, you know what? Not that you were going to fail, but you're right. like, I'm just going to do this right this time so that I don't have to backtrack. Whereas other folks like myself, I just woke up one morning and said, I want to do this. Like what you said, I want to do mm -hmm. how I want to do it. And I'm just going to do it. <laughs> right. And I just started Map Unlimited without, you know, I had, I, I did speak to a few people, but other people like myself were like, just do it. My cheerleaders, go mm -hmm. ahead. You can do it. Nothing can stop you. And, um, you know, 18 plus years later, I'm here. Amazing. But not with uh, bumps in the road and things of cool. that nature. But I admire that you took the time to do all this research and make sure that, and I love the, you know, you told your husband, like you had that path with your husband. I'm giving myself X because sometimes people fall into that dream, right? It's, it's such a dream for you yes. that, you know, and you don't want to give up on that dream, but you still have to give yourself possibly a time limit because maybe that time limit doesn't mean fail and I'm not going to do, but maybe that time limit limit is to reassess. Yes. You know, it's not a dream deferred. It's like, okay, the dream now, this expiration date, but let me see what have I done from when I started to now to see if this was working and what can I do better? Cause you don't have to kill the dream. Right. You just need to, you need to, when I set that limit for myself, that was my goal. Mm -hmm. That was, that was for me because when I started my former freelancing, not really structured PR business and event planning business, I still lived at home. I was in my early twenties. You know, I made enough money to, you know, help out with household expenses, but now I'm in my early 30s. I, at that time, we were still renting. So it was before we were able to purchase our, our home, um, our co-op. And I had a husband, which even though he is employed in marriage, you're still responsible for this other adult. We're responsible for one another, right? And I had a child. I had a child in New York City where this thing called childcare is more than mortgages. So, uh, you know, I had to be, I had to be hard on myself. Yeah. I had to set goals for myself saying, I want to do this. I'm passionate. I believe in myself, but this has got to, <laughs> this has got to work. This has got to work. This has got to work because I have more writing on this. I have extra, I now I was able to say I have a mouth to feed. You know, right. <laughs> and, and my vibe was, <laughs> and my vibe was different. And I was super open to working with people, meeting people, bless my heart. I took a lot of short time, short term projects, a lot of things that, a lot of projects that were nice in theory, but weren't well planned out um, by former, you know, short term clients that I have represented. but. You know, I think in all of those experiences, it just made me say, the small business person is great. I am a small business person. A lot of my peers are small business people. Some of them just need, they, they, they need support. We have to get out of our heads that we know everything. We have all the answers and we're supposed to do everything. So was that where you began to want to specialize um, your practice for small and mid-sized businesses? 
Yes, I believe so because I had had, you know, coming from at 16, being at a place like Def Jam, right? Where you can say we're ordering lunch and lunch is $25,000 for 10 to 15 people. You know, I remember preparing, helping them like prep out that big holiday party. Uh, and it was hosted at a place, oh, oh, New York City. I just had a moment. It was hosted at a beautiful place called Bridgewaters that was in um, the South Street Seaport. And back then, the party had a $200,000 budget, you know? Mm-hmm. So I knew about the big money. I worked at nonprofits that had the big money, you know, um, amazing. I have to shout them out because they're so great. They do amazing work, the Doe Fund. Uh, the Doe Fund has an amazing program across this New York City called Ready, Willing, and Able. And to meet people and see, you know, I knew about people writing $100,000 checks to a nonprofit. And like, okay, Kimberly, make the copy. We got to get these letters. So I've seen the big money, right? So I know that's possible. It's real. It's magical. Great. To see smaller businesses, the scrappy business, the startup, the mom and pop, and hear their cool stories, I go, oh, this is inspiring. This is exciting. This is kind of against all odds kind of thing. And I really love those stories. I really love meeting those kinds of folks and look at how they've been able to take their concepts, their ideas, and monetize them, not only to serve themselves, but in many cases, support their community that where they're based um or communities at large Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that was that was probably starting starting at the top right and then kind of working backwards i have a i feel i have a better understanding when i speak with my small to mid-sized clients about here's how you ramp up to the big time because mm-hmm. my learning was from the big time right, so right. you know I'm able to advise them and say you know when they ask for certain kinds of um, things for special events uh, you know rather it be extravagant lighting you know <laughs> fixtures I have a client where literally I, I love them for like two three years in a row he's like I want the Batman lights outside the event <laughs> and I said okay I said how many he said just two. I said, that's going to be $5,000. Mm. And he said, okay, Kim, well, we're just going to keep it on the list. I said, that's a goal. And there's, <laughs> there's a thing I say to my clients all the time. I go, now listen, I don't want to be a negative Nelly. And when I say that to them, I'm not telling them you don't have the money to spend is this the best way to spend your money knowing you have to do all of these other things, but you still have to spend the money in different facets. That's just the way it is. And like he said, it's still a goal. It's still on the list. Maybe not this year, maybe next year, but it can still be on the list because you don't want to kill again, not killing anyone's dreams, but at least you were able to guide them and give them strategic, you know, plans in place to lead up to whatever the next, you know, whatever next year's gala will look like. So that's exactly. Um, I love that you talked about storytelling because from now on, I think that, you know, people always ask me, 
what does a publicist do? And they, no matter how you explain it, no matter how much you bring out, you know, you Google it, you send them the meaning, they still just don't get it. And I think yep. from now on, I'm just going to use the word storytellers because yeah, yeah. we tell a multitude of stories, you know, like for you, you work in, you know, small business to mid-sized businesses with nonprofit and profit. Talk to me about your storytelling there. How, um, yeah, how do you work that? Like, what's the, the passion that you get from that? Sure. So, um, I didn't even realize that that's what it was, I was doing all this time was storytelling. And I feel in these past few years with Wilson Marshall, we've, I really am passionate, I'm more and more passionate about it. So what I've been doing is being very mindful of the kind of clients I take on, rather they be small to mid-sized businesses or nonprofits, because to tell a story effectively and from an engaging standpoint and keep creating new stories from that same one client. That's the challenge, right? Yes, it is. Because that's the part I, I think, Michelle, that's where they get lost about, well, what does a publicist do? Hmm. Because a lot of people, um, this is the biggest thing I think the small to mid-sized business people must learn and understand. When you decide to take on, or excuse me, when you welcome uh, a PR agency boutique or solo practitioner into the fold of your business, they have a role. Their role is to communicate with you, to be aware of what your business is doing, what ideas you have, what plans you have, um, as well as listen to that information and now craft and create new ideas. This is where the storytelling begins. Not everything can be a story. Everything is not newsworthy. Right. However, there are different ways. This is where the advent of digital plays a humongous pop, uh, part because there's different ways to create content successfully all of the time. The, so, the small business folks sometimes um, they will say, well, how much do you really have to talk about? I mean, you know, we only have a bar. Okay, well, you're making drinks, but what are you putting in the drinks? What season is it? Hey, it's national such and such day. Hey, what's this new partnership? Oh, are you partnering with so-and-so to do deliveries? And, and they're like, whoa, is that? And I go, this is my brain. This is my brain on PR. You know, <laughs> this is what I do because I can't, I can't look at a business, walk into a business, and, and, and I do this regularly. It's to the point sometimes like my husband or my friends, and my, they're like, oh my God, she's doing it again. Mm -hmm. Where I'll come into a business and I'll say, mm, they're not communicating well. And they're like, oh my God. They're like, Kim, don't start. Because what do I mean by that? Well, they've been in business for this time period. Uh, I don't know much about their menu. Let me see what their social media is. Let me see if I can Google them. Let's see what rating they have. I'm not really affixed to the ratings from the restaurant and bar standpoint, but I definitely look at businesses to see what kind of uh, media footprint they have, mm -hmm. and as well as um, their social media as well. I think that you definitely, you definitely have to have great communication with the client. You're, that's key. That's key. And sometimes 
you, the, one of our biggest jobs besides storytelling is teaching. Mm -hmm. I had a dialogue this morning with a colleague and she says, you know, you have such, she said, you know how much teaching you do? You teach your client how to communicate. And I went, Ooh, that's a girl. I didn't really think about that, but <laughs> you know, but you know, someone amazing like Renee and I watched her do her magic of media training, right? Mm -hmm. That's one piece. But just the information sharing, small business people are doing everything. They're doing their taxes. They're hanging up the pictures. They're putting in the inventory. They're ringing people up. They're mopping floors. They're kind of come up with content. So when they bring someone like my agency on, someone like me on, I say, hey, I need you to download your brain so I can come up with beautiful things. Definitely. That is so amazing to say that because I feel that whether, you know, like yourself, small business, but any client that you take on, sometimes they hold on to so much information and oh. then they say, well, why wasn't I in? Well, I didn't know about that information. And no matter how many times you ask him, no matter how many times you ask him what's happening, what's going on, especially if you're like myself, solopreneur, and maybe I might not be with them day to day, right? So mm -hmm. you hired me for a specific project, but I need all the information. Yeah. And I think, you know what I think they do? And then you can talk to me about this a little bit, because you talked about, you know, having someone like yourself budgeted in to the whole you know, the grand picture. I feel like they think, you know, I don't want to ask for too much or say too much because then it's going to cost more. Why don't you give yes. me everything and then we'll assess what things cost? Because if you give me half the information, I can only do half my job. That's right. That's right. So to that point, Michelle, I think, you know, going through this, I'll use the example of going through what we're experiencing. We're, we're still working through COVID-19. One of the biggest things that all of us, solopreneurs, small business. We've learned a lot in these past few months. For example, I love saying, oh, I work with small businesses. I did not know that small businesses are considered, oh, if you make $35 million or less. Like, what? <laughs> what? So my clients, that blew their mind. So what's happened is, what else have we done? Grant applications, loan applications, some things are not asking for a hardcore business plan per se, but they're like, well, how do you spend your funds, small business person? And this is the thing that I think is so important. I believe every small to mid-sized business, but basically it's small business before it becomes mid-sized. When you do your business plan, it is a non-negotiable to create and stick to allocate a line item for marketing. Mm -hmm. If you want to call it marketing, if you want to call it communications, call it something. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to do that. So many amazing conceptual small businesses, great people, great people. If you say to them, well, well what do you have earmarked for marketing? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't I pay don't, for yeah. that. I don't pay for that. I don't need that. That's what I need to know basically. That's my favorite. Right. That's my favorite. I, I don't need that. And I don't I'll need say, that right now. <laughs> right now. So I'll say, I don't, okay. I said, so now what I've been doing, I would say the past two to three years, my business will be eight this year, right? I, when I have conversations in my consultations, right? I, I have dialogue and I go, tell me what you think marketing is. 
tell me what you think communication is. I want to hear what they think. This is where the disconnect is. This is where women like ourselves, all of our comrades in PR, all of our comrades in social media, everyone in communications industry, I think we have to get stronger in educating the masses because the average small business person, when they think about marketing, they are thinking about someone's going to ask them to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. on a television ad. Right. Not going to happen, honey, because you don't have that money. Or they, they're still thinking about radio ads or they're thinking about a big splashy print ad. Now, that's part of the marketing mix. That's a goal. Those are things that you can do. That's not the end all and be all. You have to do a little slice of everything. You should do traditional advertising. You should do outdoor advertising. You should do digital advertising. You should do strong social media. You should have a PR plan. You should have marketing uh, partnerships and, and alliances. Guess what? Guess what you should do? All of it. All of it. And that's why on a team, if they have, you know, marketing in place and they have social media in place, all the, and and PR in place, communications in place, all these people should be talking because at some, sometimes I feel like marketing doesn't talk to PR. So therefore you're like, wait a minute, there's something missing here. I cannot build a PR campaign against what I don't know. And I right. feel like that's another piece miss, me, missing. And that's why I feel that a lot of people don't understand what marketing is and PR is and why they're separate and why they come together. Right. They do, right. they are separate. They're not the same thing, but they no. need to be married. They need yes. to be conjoined at the hip. And that's yes. another misconception that a lot of people don't understand or they just you know, don't care and they forget about it. But those two don't communicate half the time and that's proper, you know, problematic. Yes. And I also think that you know, really understanding. And and so speaking to my small business folks, the small business folks, because they're doing everything, they're doing so many jobs, they know that they have to communicate in some way. But so many, they, again, it starts from the business plan. I truly feel when small businesses are going to banks, or they're going to credit unions, or they're going to any kind of organization uh, that is going to uplift them, you know, coordinate them, get them together, get their package together. They need to review their plan and say, you need to allocate a minimum of this just for communications. How will people know you exist? How will people know on an ongoing basis that you're open, you have services? You know, there's a lot of beautiful programs like Google. They have a lot of great things. But do you have the time in your schedule and operating your small business and trying to have a life or having a family or taking care of a sick person or whatever it may be to really operate all of these things? The truth of the matter is you don't. You need support. Small businesses need support. And I truly believe coming through COVID-19, that this is the aha moment for so many. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it. And that's what made me sad because there are businesses that have been great serving community for years, 
tourist attraction, but they didn't have a delivery system set up. They don't have a social media presence. They have no connections with media whatsoever. Yeah. And so many media, companies, yeah, so mm-hmm. many companies and, um, you know, people in business, there's a, there's like an unbalance, like, I don't know if you've seen this, like there's some companies that all they do is social media, all they care about is social media. Then there's another company that doesn't care about it, but you know, so there's no balance in their, you know, in their systems. Yeah. And it it always baffles me. So I think, so I think to that point, uh, doing PR as long as I've been doing PR and still learning and welcoming in new ways of communicating, which I, which I love to do, a lot of people got sold the dream of social media, that it was the end all and be all. <laughs> yeah. They felt, well, I can get my little cousin to come by and, and take post. photos mm-hmm. and post. Okay. And what's the content? And who are you tagging? And what are the hashtags? And how did, and what were the analytics at the end of the month? Or the flip side is, Oh, let's hire this famous influencer because he or she has XYZ followers. And therefore, because they did this for, let's say, a company like, I don't know, Pepsi, they're going to do the same for me. It's like that whole Oprah effect, right? Like, if you know, I want to be with Oprah. It's like, no, just because Oprah said, you get a car, you get a car. No, you don't get a cover. (laughs) No, you don't. And there's a lot of that. I think I love social media from the perspective of the fast the fast response, the fast engagement, right? But it's also dream selling. So we're storytellers. Mm-hmm. If, if we have to tell a story, what do we do? You had to ask questions. You had to have a conversation. We had to fact check. Woo, zinc, scary words. We had to do research. With social media, it's fast and, and sexy and glossy and filters and busyness. and you can take all these beautiful images, but what is the story that's being told? So I respect, you know, I, I had a conversation working on uh, updating, helping my clients har- at Harlem Shake um, redo their website, right? And we had this conversation about, oh, well, why are you putting the, the uh, influencers coverage along with with traditional media like tv and print well why are they together and i said well that is new media they are media okay (laughs) sometimes that super great tv hit you know and if tv is still tv still king tv still in in my mind tv (laughs) is still king (laughs) you know uh and second to that are really top tier print publications and top tier digital, right? So sometimes when you get into the niche kind of publications, the article's great, the photos were great, but maybe 500 people, maybe read it. Then that influencer who has 50,000 people shares it and that same photo of that same burger just got shared 5,000 times. Right. So that influencer deserves to be right next to that niche publication in our chronological, mm-hmm. you know, review. Uh, so I try to, and that's part of the education. 
Definitely. to the clients. Definitely. And that's a big hoop. The I think that's a big, I think that there's a big situation that we as PR people uh, hold to the chest, as we should to a certain degree with our clients, but they don't understand the power that an influencer can have and the immediacy that an influencer can have. However, that can't be your end all and be all either. Exactly. There, there has to be a plan of action and why we're doing it and make sure it's in alignment and that, you know, you both have the same, you know, ideals. It's, it, a lot goes into it. And once they get it, once you're able to educate them and they see it, then they're like, they have the aha moment, right? And it's yes. like, wow, now you have a well-oiled machine and you guys are rocking and rolling until the next time that they don't understand something. You have to do this all over again, but it's a constant teaching and a constant aha. Like, oh, I get it now, but that's why we're there for. And I am not, you know, I'm always going to continue to, you know, teach and let them understand because, hey, it's the job I chose as well. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I never want, you know, this is the choice that these folks have made. This is what they are investing their time, energy, sweat equity into. So for me, I never want them to be <clears throat> in the dark. I right. don't want them to say, well, I didn't know we could do this. Or why didn't you tell us that we could do X, Y, and Z, Kimberly? And I'm like, oh, geez. You know, so I want to make sure that they're aware of everything. Just like you said, presenting everything is, hey, here's all the awesome things I can provide for your business. Then if they say, well, this is my budget. Okay, so let's talk about some of these things that I can do. You can always renegotiate. Let's do this, right? Let's do this for six months. Let's see how we work together. Let's review. And then if you say, hey, Kimberly, I want to do more. I, I have the budget. I have the funding. Then you can do that. But you can't, small businesses cannot afford to operate, to open and operate without a strong communications plan. It's, it's just a no. Just a no. What is the best advice you've received? I don't know exactly. I can't remember where I was. But it was something to the effect of do what you love and the money will follow, Mm -hmm. which I truly believe. And I really, really share that with anyone, you know, who listens to this interview, uh, as well as my PR peers. This has been a very challenging time. Some of us have been, you know, riding the wave. Some of us haven't been affected at all, depending upon your clients, right? Uh, the accounts that you have, but some people have been affected. Return to why you went into this industry. If you're feeling like, oh, geez, I'm just doing a lot of fluff work. Who really cares about that right now? No, don't feel that way. If understand the jobs that we have decided to take on are an integral part of educating the masses enlightening the masses um we are the conduit to the media and the media in their own way respects us we're that conduit we are introducing your business your service your program 
And that's a great thing. And it's a great storytelling service. Mm -hmm. It's a great part of the fabric of business. And communications is a very, communications is an essential business in a different way. If you don't have strong communications, things fall through the cracks, information gets misstrewed, things don't go well. So communications has an essential component to how information is shared and digested. So, you know, do what you love, the money will follow. You will, you, the money, even if the money's been there and now it might not be, it will come back. Move with strategy, not emotion. Mm, That's a nice one. Because if you are in business, and this is for PR professionals as well as the small business people, Jeff, you can have all the emotion you want. You can feel sad. You can feel grief. You can feel overwhelmed. Have it. Sit in it. Say, okay, I'm, I'm going to process this, but I still have an operation to run. There are people still relying on me. This isn't working with this particular person. I have to remove myself and make best practices. And I feel that is extremely pivotal, extremely pivotal in our community. We are a lot of black and brown people. We're very passionate, which is beautiful, which is great, which has a lot to do with our creativity. We have to learn to make best decisions sometimes, remove the emotion and get the list done, get the, ta- get the task done. Get out of, and you know, you know our line. You need to learn how to get out your feelings <laughs> and do what needs to be done. So I really, um, those are my two that really right now empower me the most, yeah. I feel Kim, thank you. I, I learned so much. Like I said, we've never had the chance to meet, but I feel like I've known you for years because you are like a spirit animal. And you know, some of the <laughs> things you. that I feel and I went through and they're just amazing. And just to learn about someone else in the PR field that we're not alone and we're going through the same things or, you know, building that rapport with you today just felt really great. So I thank you for chatting with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I think this is, an, I thank you so much, Michelle, for doing this because PR people, we're, we're service people. We provide a service. And sometimes people say, you know, we're, who's the woman in black? Who's the guy in black? <laughs> they just, uh, whatever. You know, who told me to stand over here? And we we're sometimes we're overlooked. And especially if you're a solopreneur, sometimes it can be a little lonely in our world. So I'm so grateful that you started this platform. I hope and pray it continues. There's so many awesome, awesome, awesome uh, PR mavens out there uh, that have just been, you know, amazing and are amazing and doing really great things. So. Thanks again, Kim, for joining me today. This was great. I really enjoyed chatting with you. I could have chatted with you for hours. I love listening to your journey from being an intern, connecting with the right people, and staying true to your passions. I loved her path into the industry. It wasn't scattered. It was very detailed and purposeful. 
I like how she gave herself a timeline, a deadline when she started her business to make it work or to reassess. She's so detailed, right? Which is a great attribute to have in the PR and events industry. Thanks again, Kim, for sharing your story. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of PR Girl Rant. Until next time, bye.